You can go ahead and have a seat. We are continuing today in our series, uh, holding it together when the world is falling apart. Um, And what we're doing in this series, we're going through the book of Jeremiah. We're looking at some select parts. Uh, and, And Jeremiah speaks to a people in exile in a foreign land. They've just been conquered. They are totally out of their element. And life is chaotic and messy. And sometimes that's how it feels in our world as well. So there's, there's much that God has to teach us. Uh, what we have talked about so far, the first week, we, we talked about how we're like cracked cisterns. And a cistern doesn't hold water very well if it's cracked. And it doesn't do us any good to deny the fact that there is brokenness around us. So we talked about how when the world's falling apart, we have to be honest about that brokenness. And we also have to be honest about our own complicity in that brokenness. Sometimes we are a part of the contributing to the mess, right? And then last week we were blessed to have uh, Rob Grimes come and he preached to us while he made some pottery up here. He brought his throwing wheel. He made pottery, made it get taller. He crumpled it back down and we all went, oh man. And then he remade it again. And he reminded us that Jeremiah teaches in the mess, God sometimes wants to use that as a time of transformation, a time for remaking us, for molding us, just like the potter molds the clay. And so those are two things that kind of prepare us personally for uh, getting into a chaotic and messy world. Um, But what about our external lives? We've talked about kind of the inner life preparation. How do we live externally in a world that feels like it's falling apart? And so that's what we want to get into today. Um, I want you to think about a time when you felt like the world around you was falling apart. A time where you experienced a lot of chaos and mess. So think back, think to a time in your life. Some of you are like, I don't have to think very hard because it's right now. Um, Some of you are feeling distracted because kids are having fun in worship. We're excited that kids are having fun in worship. Maybe for you it was a time where you faced some financial difficulty. Maybe a tragedy in the family. Maybe some of the partisan infighting in the politics of our country have broken some relationships in your life, and that's been really hard. Maybe COVID, right? That was a big thing. Felt like the world was falling apart repetitively for about two years. I want to I point to a mild example in my life um, to show what, how we usually react to the world falling apart. Um, when Tracy and I started having kids, uh, it was very joyful and good, and it introduced a level of chaos that we were not quite prepared for, right? You just can't fully prepare for that level of chaos. So, uh, you know, we brought Abigail home from the hospital, and all of life just stops. And for the first month, you're just trying to, to live each day. Right, we'll get on with our life. Let us, we just got to figure this out. There's no instruction manual. You get through the first month and you're like, okay, take a breath. But I, I don't feel like I can really start living yet. I think we need to focus on sleeping through the night. And as soon as I can sleep through the night, then maybe I can live my life in the daytime. And then you get to the end of that first year and hopefully there's some sleeping through the night happening. But your kid is starting to crawl or walk or if you're really blessed, they're a climber. So then you're like, well, I can't really, uh, I can't really start living my life fully because we have to childproof everything in our house and everywhere else we go, right? And then potty training starts. 
the joys of potty training. Um, and then you have like the daytime potty training and then you try to make it happen at night and you introduce bad sleep routines again. And then they start school and you're like, how are we gonna keep up with all these things we're supposed to do? Sports happen and you guys can see where this is going. If you wait until the chaos ends to start living life, guess what? It's never going to happen. You're gonna end up at this place uh, where I could totally see how people get there, where you're just thinking, as long as my parents could, as long as my kids could parent their own kids the way I want them to, then I can take a deep breath and start living life. And you guys in that situation, does it ever really happen the way you want it to? No, no. If we wait for the chaos to end, we'll never get there. So I think God has different plans for us than just ending the chaos. So we're going to look at the, the prophet Jeremiah today and what he says about how we live even when the world is chaotic. Before we read the scriptures, uh, will you pray with me? Let's open ourselves up to hearing God's word. God, your word is good for us, and we ask that you would open us up. Let us hear the words that you are going to speak to us God, I pray that in the ways that uh, your word challenges us, give us courage that we could uh, boldly live into your vision for human life and human flourishing, uh, even in a time of chaos. Would you come and teach us, come and mold us, and prepare us that we could live as you call us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So before we read the scripture, I want to paint the backdrop. You know that in the exile, the Israelites are taken out of their land um, after they're conquered by the Babylonians. Jerusalem is invaded, the temple is destroyed, and a good portion of the Israelites are carted off to Babylon, resettled there against their will. Um, basically, they make it so that they could not rise up and, and be any kind of resistance. And so in the exile, the people of God really struggled. And they struggled for all sorts of reasons. If we were a conquered people that got carted off to another place, I bet the Ukrainians that have been taken off to parts of Russia are really struggling right now, right? I can, we, we can't even imagine. But the Israelites had a special struggle on top of that. They didn't know how to practice their faith in a foreign land. They just didn't know how to do it. Their worship revolved around this building that was the temple. It was where God lived. And if they didn't have the temple, oh my gosh, how could they worship God? And a part of the covenant relationship they had with God, uh, there was a promise that they would have this land. How would they be God's people without the promised land? So the people of God in the exile, they struggled to know how they lived out their faith. Was it even possible? Now, in the midst of this, there are prophets that God sends to them. Uh, there are other prophets, too. There's prophets that rise up in the book of Jeremiah that are not Jeremiah. And in chapter 28, there's a prophet named Hananiah. And Hananiah stands up. He says, I'm a prophet from God. I have a word from the Lord. Here's what God wants you to know. It's only going to be two more years in Babylon, and then we'll go back. We'll go back to the good life. We'll get out of the chaos and then we'll be able to live life again. And Jeremiah stands up and he says, uh-uh-uh, that's not a real prophet. That's a false prophet. 
in response to this false prophet message that really it's hitting all the people uh, where they want it to, right? Like it's saying exactly what they want to be true, except it's not true. That's often what false prophets do. Here's what Jeremiah says after this false prophet uh, gives them a false hope for two years. Jeremiah says this, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease." But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare, you will find your welfare. And then this is what he says particularly about the false prophets. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. He's pretty clear about that, right? For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, this is uh, a different word than what the false prophets said, right? It's not going to be two years. It's going to be 70 years. What Jeremiah is saying, what God is saying through Jeremiah, he's telling the, the Israelites in exile, get used to the chaos. Settle in, buckle up. It's not going to get easier right now. Ooh, that, that's a hard word, isn't it? We don't like that. We would much rather have the two years and then we're home free. But this makes us ask a really important question, kind of acknowledge that God does not always want to rescue us out of the chaos. He doesn't always want to remove us from the chaos, even though our inclination is to avoid it at all costs. Sometimes God does not pull us out of the chaos. He tells us to live in it. So I want to look back at this scripture and try to answer this question. How do we live in a world that's falling apart? If sometimes God would have us stay in the messiness, how do we do that? I think there's three really big things that this passage teaches us about how we do that as God's people. The first one is uh, it's kind of obvious. It's don't be fooled by false prophets. The Israelites were tempted to think as the false prophets said, that the only way they could really live their faith out to the fullest was if they got back to the promised land. I wonder if today we aren't fooled by some similar voices that might tell us that the only way to fully live out our faith is if we can make Christianity the cultural norm again. I know sometimes it feels like maybe that's the reason the world's falling apart. Back in the 1950s, we had a culture where Christianity was the norm Not everyone was necessarily a Christian, but all the values of society kind of naturally aligned in that direction. Going to church probably helped your career, made you look, you know, appealing for promotions and success. Um, that, That is not the world we live in today, friends, is it? 
Now, being a Christian today, sometimes people look at us, oh, why would you believe that? And there's this temptation to avoid the chaos by saying, how can we get back to the 1950s Christianity? We have to be careful. This is the false prophet of, uh, in some ways, Christian nationalism is trying to lead us to believe that. This, this idea that we can only fully practice our faith if we make our country Christian. The problem with that is sometimes God calls his people to not be in the cultural majority, right? He calls us to live in the chaos and the messiness. There are other false prophets. Uh, partisan politics will always be a false prophet if you allow it to be. There will always be voices that point to a group of people those guys over there are the reason the world is chaotic, and if we just vote them out of office, all will be well, and we can go on living our lives. Or if we just cancel out that group of people, then we can go on living. And I think they're playing into a lot of those same desires we have to try to, if I can just end the chaos, then I can keep living my life, right? We have to be very careful about the voices we listen to, because as God's people, we know God does not always pull us out of the chaos Sometimes God has us live in the chaos, right? So we have to be careful. There's a lot of voices that will try to uh, tempt us to think it's possible to leave the chaos. But God has different plans. What are those different plans? Well, can I give you some scripture? We just read it. Here it is. The different plans build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there, and do not decrease. This is what God would have us do. Now, if you came here today hoping I would tell you there's justification for building a new house, or becoming a community gardener, uh, or buying into some system of arranged marriage, that's not what this is saying. It's not saying that. What this is saying... God is saying we need to learn to live in the mess. We need to learn to live in the mess. We live in a world where there are all sorts of people around us that, that, are, that are very different than us. Um, what, one of the things I noticed was when we talk about the messiness of the world, um, a lot of the, the chaos of the world seems to contribute to divisions, Right? We're seeing so many places where, where our world is divided. I think one of the ways we can learn to live in the mess is to get closer to people that are different than us. We have people in our society around us that believe the same thing as us about God. And then we have people that believe very different things than we do about God. Or they might even not believe there is a God at all and they think we're crazy for believing that. There are people in our surrounding community who fall on both the left and the right. I did that wrong. Right and then the left. Maybe it was right for you guys. Of the political spectrum. But there, there's people across viewpoints. One of the things that the chaos of the world does is it, it sometimes drives us to kind of hole up with those that are just like us because it feels more comfortable. It feels a little safer. And one of the ways I think that we as followers of Christ can learn to live in the mess, is to be open to building relationships across difference. Be open to building relationships across difference. Not avoiding people because they voted for someone different, or they have a different understanding of what a family should look like. 
but being able to have a relationship still. Um, and I want to be really clear here. I'm, talking, I'm not talking about assimilation with the world. I'm talking about engagement with the world. I think that's what this scripture is calling us to. The exiles were called to live in a foreign land, but to still be God's unique, holy people. I think, honestly, I think that's part of why we need the church. That's what Bill Dedimore was talking about in his video, that if we, if we don't have the church to ground us in God, we might try to engage the world and end up assimilating and becoming just like it. That's actually not the goal. The goal is that we would still be God's unique people following God in some very unique ways, but that we would engage the world building relationships across difference, right? Uh, I've been convicted more and more that one of the best ways we can do this is to invest in our neighborhoods. Most of us buy houses because we like what the house is like or we like uh, where it's located. Few of us interview our neighbors before, before we move into a new place, right? I know some of you are wishing you could. You're, you're like thinking about, man, if I had just known about that person. <laughs> but our neighborhoods are filled with a diverse array of people. I don't know about you, but in my neighborhood, there's people with uh, red political signs and blue political signs. There's people that agree with me that Jesus is Lord, and there's people that would like to argue that that is the worst thing that you could believe, and then there's everyone in between, right? Uh, there are people that have all sorts of values and pictures of what the good life should look like, the purpose and role of our government, all, all sorts of difference. And we're called to engage that. In my own neighborhood, we like to have some neighborhood parties sometimes because that gets people together. You know, the good old-fashioned block party. We were having one last weekend, and I was looking out at the people that came, and I knew some of them well. I didn't know others, and I, I got to talking with uh, some a family that that I, st I started to realize, man, there are so many differences between us. There's differences in faith. There's difference, differences probably politically. I don't know. We didn't like jump in and talk about that, but probably. There's differences in value systems and what we, th what we think life should look like for people. And as I was talking to them, what I realized is if we're going to relate to people across difference, it takes more energy than relating to someone that's similar to us. I mean, I can become friends with someone that believes the same things with me, and we'll hit it off. It takes very little energy. But if I'm going to relate to someone that is different than me, that might even directly disagree with some things that I hold to be very valuable, I'm going to have to try a lot harder to be empathetic to where they're coming from. I'm going to have to try a lot harder to love on them despite our differences, to listen and understand them, right? That's, that's a very different way of living. But that is what God called the Israelites to in exile, to live out their faith in a foreign land with foreign people, their captors no less. And that's part of what God's calling us to do today, to live out our faith in the middle of a really messy world and to lean in, to get close to people in the process. And when we do that, God has a way he wants to use us. Here's how he says it to Jeremiah's uh, in Jeremiah's day, he tells them to seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. So as, as they were called to live in the middle of a foreign land, they're not just called to live there, they're called to seek the welfare of the people around them. That word for welfare is a word 
um, in Hebrew that you might be familiar with. The word is shalom. Shalom uh, means peace, but not just peace. Uh, It means much more than that. Um, Where's my slide? Shalom in Hebrew, uh, it's about all-around welfare or well-being. It's thriving. It's about the wholeness of life, human flourishing. It's really God's vision for humanity at its best. And that's what God calls the Israelites in exile to seek on behalf of these weird and different people in a different land, to seek God's shalom for them. I know, shalom is not just something we sing about while we hold hands with each other at the end of worship. It's something we're called to share with the world. If it's your first time here, you'll figure out what I'm saying in just a second. We have good intentions, I promise. So this is the third point. We're called to share God's shalom where we are. Right here in Austin, Texas, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our social groups, to share and contribute to the the fullness of life for the sake of others. Not to avoid the chaos so we can have our shalom, but to share what we have with other people. You know, it strikes me that the Israelites in exile, they probably were thinking that if they could just get back to the promised land, man, they would be able to have the fullness of life It would be so good. God really calls them to a level of sacrificial living to not escape the chaos for their own sake, but to stay in the chaos and to share God's blessing and God's shalom with others that might never have heard it. All through the Old Testament, uh, God calls his people to be a missional people. He says it um, in a lot of different ways. One of those ways is in Isaiah 49. He says, I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. But what strikes me is that the Israelites just staying clustered up in Jerusalem, they're not a very good light because they seldom interacted with the rest of the world, with the rest of the nations. There might have been moments. But when they have to go into exile and live in a foreign land, they're around other nations all the time, 24-7. I wonder if that's not how we could see our time and place right here. Yes, our society is no longer a Christian society. Yes, there are struggles that come with that. There's even some chaos that comes with that. But what an opportunity to live on God's mission. What an opportunity to be a kind of people who God uses for his missional purposes. We're doing a, a class right now called Uncommon Ground. We're reading through this book. Um, it's about how do we live faithfully as followers of Jesus in a world of difference. And there is one of the readings of this book um, that really captures this well. So I want to read this for you. Um, there's an author, Kristen D. Johnson. Man, she's got a great last name, right? Uh, Kristen thought she has a good first name. I like her last name. She, she uses some imagery to explain what this looks like. So I want you to look at this tree. Isn't that a beautiful looking tree? And I want to read this to you because it, it paints a picture of what it looks like for us to live in a chaotic and messy world for God's purposes. Trees are known for their capacity to take in the potentially harmful gases surrounding them 
and offer life-giving oxygen to the world. Trees do not offer this oxygen only to their kind. They improve the air quality for everyone. Of course, trees also offer many other benefits, beauty, shade, fruit, and a habitat for wildlife. The world would be diminished in significant ways without the contribution of trees. Wouldn't it be amazing if that was our reputation as Christians today? Our calling is is similar to that of trees. To live right wherever we are planted in the chaos and messiness of the world and to do whatever we can to share God's life-giving shalom with all. Not just picking and choosing. I want to share that with the people that are like me, but not with my enemies. With everyone. And if we did that well, church, what if we got to a point where the world said, man, the world would not be as good of a place if it weren't for Christians? That's the kind of blessing we're called to be. That's, that's what it looks like to live in the land. That's what, if, if we follow Jeremiah's model for living in a world that's falling apart, this is what we're called to. We're called to that as a church here in Austin, Texas. But each of you have a part to play. Each of you have groups of people you know that would never come here. You're called to go and to be shalom for them. I wonder who it is. I wonder where God's going to invite you further into that this week. Would you pray with me? Lord, we want to avoid the chaos so bad, but you often call us to stay. Come and use us, God. God, I pray that as a church, you would continue to open up opportunities for us to share your shalom and fullness of life with the world. God, I pray that for each of us, you would give us courage to engage those people around us that are different than us. To not give up our uniqueness as your people, but maybe to be even more unique in that we're willing to love people across difference. We know, God, you want to work in those kind of messy, chaotic situations. So we invite you in. Come Holy Spirit, fill us up, use us to do good things in your name. All God's people said, amen.